How many of you got some friends that you're grateful for? Ooh, that was kind of weak. We must need some. Well, let me give you a little hint. As a pastor, I get the privilege of hearing sometimes the good and the bad. Sometimes I'll hear about people not being friendly and I hear about people not being nice and I hear about people not walking up and shaking hands to greet new people and that kind of stuff. And I ask very clearly, well, how friendly were you? Whose hand did you go shake? Who did you go talk to? You see, it works both ways, am I right? We need some good friends. And some of you that couldn't get excited about that, let me just give you an easy point of advice. If you want good friends, be friendly. If you need more friends, have a cookout. If you want the most amount of friends, get an in-ground pool. The Lord has spoken. <laughs> if you need more friends than that, have an in-ground pool to cook out and give away free food all at the same time. Right? There's ways to get friends. We get to this end of uh, the letter of Colossians. This would really be like an easy section to skip, to be honest with you guys. I mean, it, you read over it and it's just a bunch of hard names. You know, I told the Lord years ago when he started this expository idea of preaching verse by verse and I told him, one, it was horrible because I didn't get to pick what I was going to get to preach. And that just don't seem fair. If I'm going to spend all week preparing something, it ought to be what I want to prepare, not what he wants, right? But I lost that battle and he's still winning it, so I'm going to preach what he wants every time. And secondly, I said, Lord, that doesn't give me the right to skip over all the words I can't say. So as well as she did it, pronouncing Tachikis and Onesimus and Aristocats and all the other names that were in there, I'm just going to call them Mr. A and Mr. T and Mr. O and Mr. You know what I'm saying? Like... We were at the at the, the banquet last night for, for Soul to Tea Party and they had these cards and each card had a, a story on it. And, you know, as the night went on, you got to hear more of, of that story. And rather than having the whole name, they just had a letter at the front. And I, I realized last night that was my answer. Instead of trying to pronounce these names, I'll just call them, they called them Mama O and Mama O. And so I'm going to call them Mr. And, and Mrs. But uh, anyway, we're not going to skip over it because if it's inspired by Scripture to be in it, there must be some lessons behind it. You know, these, these are, as Paul's writing these things, these are Paul's indispensable friends. I mean, if I would have asked Paul, hey, you got some friends you're grateful for, it would have been a much stronger cheer of excitement that came forth from him because he knew the value of friendship. He knew the value of, of teamwork. He knew these guys is what made the ministry possible. You know, it's what, it's what allowed money to be handed to one person to be given to somebody else in need. It's, it's what allowed somebody to see somebody on the side of the road and to be able to stop and get a gas can. And you know what I'm saying? Like it... It connects. People were connected to fulfill the, the big, big thing. Jesus was big on it. I mean, th think about Christ himself placed great value on relationships. He didn't have to develop close relationships with people while he was here, but he chose to. He chose to invest in people. He chose to deepen those connections by sitting down and eating together. And they may have had an in-ground pool too, Joel. Oh, I'm just <laughs> saying. Uh, but, but he chose to, to teach it not only in words, but in practice. And he befriended, you know, a lot of these guys and built relationships. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, it says, The new command I give you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Well, that's pretty cut, clear, and dry. If we ain't loving one another, the world don't know we're his disciples. That's right. Is that right? Sometimes we, we skip. see you guys focus so much on wanting to spend eternity with all the saints in heaven, but y'all don't want to spend any time with them while you're on earth. Am I right? I got news for you. There's going to be a lot more going on in heaven than a lot of you guys realize when you get to the kingdom. It ain't just going to be sitting in a chair doing nothing for an eternity. Could you imagine how boring that would be, by the way? I know people who some of y'all probably believe that, and I hate to really spoil your theology right there and just mess things up for you. But could you imagine just sitting for an eternity? And doing nothing? You're like, well, pastor, we're going to praise. Could you imagine praising for eternity? Now, y'all don't have to be all holy on me and all that, okay? Like, you can give me an honest answer. There's going to come a time where you're ready to sit down and not be singing the song, right? No? You guys are too holy. Y'all don't have that going on. I got that going on, okay? I'm not as holy as you guys. I think there's going to be a moment where I'm like, all right, Jesus, we got to do something different for the next hundred years. You know, something different for the next thousand years. I, I think he's going to establish, as he says in his word, a kingdom 
that we're going to actually serve it. We're going to actually work it. We're going to do things that it won't be the same as, as you dreading to go to work every day, but it's going to be a kingdom. It's going to be stuff happening. It's going to be stuff going on, you know, and, and, and what a better place to train up how to handle jobs in the next kingdom. So we're supposed to be doing them as, as a team than to do it here as a team. Jesus knew this. Paul knew this. So he, he was big into team ministry. In Acts chapter 13, when he received that first call, said the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them to do. That's verse 2. From that time on, other than when he went to Athens, I actually checked this out to make sure I was right. From that time on until, except for a little period when he was in Athens waiting on Silas and Timothy, Paul never, at least as recorded in Scripture, Paul never ministered alone. He was always with people. He was always investing with people. He had a heart for friends. He loved and responded to friendships. And as he gets to the end of this letter in Colossians, he goes, you know what? Let me tell you about some of the people I remember. Let me tell you about 10 specific people that matter to me. A list of, of names that have become pivotal in the spiritual progress. You know, some of you guys fail because you don't have the right friends. Paul said, I've been able to succeed in this mission that the Lord's called me to do because I've surrounded myself with the right friends. I've surrounded myself with the right people. I've been able to live out this faith and get this thing going. We're designed to live with other people. In the very beginning of Genesis, what did God say after he created Adam? It ain't good that he's alone. Solomon, the wisest guy ever who had everything. He writes in his journal, what does he say? Two are better than one. Right? We're, we're designed to be together, guys. We're designed to do stuff together. And we, we've said this before, and I don't know who to give recognition on the quote for, but, but it goes, it says, no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. That we, we need that kind of time. I would add to it that if everyone did something, then everything would get done. Right? If everyone would just do something, it would all get done. I was so happy yesterday when I told I was telling Crystal the verses, and I said four through through eighteen. I said we're gonna, and then I told her you know with the, the sharing the post. I said wrapping up Colossians. She goes oh, and it made me feel good because I was like she doesn't want to wrap up Colossians. Like she just said, thank God you're done with that series. You know what I'm saying? That'd been kind of disappointing. But I think Colossians has been a good letter to us. So, you know, with her not wanting to, to end it, you know, it made me feel a little good. It made me, made me feel, you know, like we had done something correctly in this thing. So instead of, of just looking out for ourselves, we got to recognize that we're members of a body. And it's Colossians that started this whole thing with Christ and his supremacy, leading the way through this thing. He's wrapping it up now saying he is supreme even in our friendships. And our greatest friends should be united by those of the fellow believers. Not that we don't go out into the world, not that we can't associate with the world or anything like that. I'm not calling you to be a monk and live alone, but I'm just saying, when you study Scripture, you study our deepest bonds, our deepest connections should be with the people in this room right here. We should be fulfilling the ministry, fulfilling our, our calling, our purposes for the kingdom with people right here in this room. Amen. And there's enough of us to get that done. So, uh, you haven't opened your Bibles yet. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. And I'm going to start with just some general observations. So rather, than, I'm going to go verse by verse in a minute with some of the groups of these, these people. But I just want to give you some general observations that I see Paul's picked out in these guys that I think apply with us. And maybe before we even start that, you should write down, there's a great value to just being there for people. Paul lists this group and it's just people who were there for him. They were there through the thick and the thin. They, they didn't give up on him. They didn't quit. They didn't leave when, when things got hard. One of these guys actually goes to prison with him. Um, you know, so, so this is, this is a deep thing of just being there for people. So here's some general observations. Number one, Paul didn't operate alone. He was not a lone ranger. And I think sometimes that's vital for a lot of us. He mentions over a hundred people in the new Testament in his letters. You go to, to Romans chapter 16 alone, and there's 26 people listed, 26 people. Colossians chapter four, he lists another, another 10 people. If nothing else, this teach anybody bad at remembering names. That's a horrible trait as a pastor, by the way. <laughs> God calls you to be a pastor. You can't remember names. That's, that's like a bad, bad thing. But, you know, this, this section, and looking back at Romans and, and all the stuff Paul writes right here, not only is he not a lone ranger, but it gives me an incentive to try to remember people's names. Why? Because you can write this down. People matter. If people matter enough, we should remember their names. We should remember who they are. We should remember the connection that we have with them, right? So, so Paul didn't do it alone. Number two, Christians need to work on their networks. Paul was a great networker, right? Without his supportive friends and his partners, the gospel would have never spread as fast as it did. And that's a big thing for us. We, instead of trying to do things alone, let's network. 
Let's know that you can stop by a shop and get something. Let's know that you can go to so-and-so's house and get something else. Let's know that, that when somebody's in need for this, we have a resource that we can, we can reach out to. You know, we, we ought to just have us a, a big old, we, have, we always want to get those big old phone books. Instead of a phone book or, or you know, the church connection book or whatever we called it when we did it, we ought to have a book that just has like your name and what you can do. That scared the crap out of some of y'all, wouldn't it? You know what I'm saying? You'd be afraid to list something down because you'd be like, oh, they're going to call me for this. They're going to call me for that. We ought to have at the very end all you old people that are retired. I'm serious. Here's why. Because we need people during the week that we can call while the rest of us are trying to work to get retired. Right? So for those of you that have made it there, congratulations. We're going to give you another job to do. Um, don't look around at each other. Look at yourself. Right? We, we need this, this book of connection for this kind of thing. Why? Because it's resources. It can help us get the job done, right? So Paul was a great networker. He, he knew how to reach out and he knew how to get stuff done. Crystal walked up last night while I was talking to a pastor I hadn't talked to in person in a little while. And man, we were, we were 50 stories in on different ministry things, right? I, I try my hardest to learn and communicate with pastors, right? So I, so I can learn from, I learn from their mistakes. When he tells me what didn't work, I make a little note. Don't try that one. You know, when he tells me, hey, this was successful, I make a note. I'm going to try that. You know, so we should be, we should be, Mature enough to know that we can benefit from other people, both for the good and the bad, right? So number three, friendship is part of discipleship. Now, I'm not going to say it's the very best way to disciple, but I think it's a strong way to disciple. We should be growing in our walk with one another. We, sh- we should be being more sanctified in, in our walk with Christ through the supremacy of Christ as we interact with other people. Proverbs chapter seven or tra- Proverbs chapter 27, sorry. Talk about friends helping us grow. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now, y'all say that out loud. Whether you do it out loud or just read it on the screen. Iron sharpens iron. Right? Iron don't sharpen no seat cushion. You get what I'm saying? If you're the iron and they're the seat cushion and they're just a couch cushion, you're going to cut them up. You're going to devour them. You know what else the seat cushion does? Anybody who knows how to operate a good blade will know this one. If you keep stabbing that knife into that cushion long enough, what happens to that blade? All it does is dull it out. Right? So make sure it's iron sharpening iron and not iron and some couch cushions. Right? Because then your wife would get mad that the couch cushions are destroyed. So. The church was created to be a community of people that rely on one another. Number four, friendships develop through shared experiences. Friendships developed through shared experiences. Most of Paul's great relationships nurtured at crucible parts of the ministry. If you guys have ever been on the mission field or done a, a, a mission type job or outreach with anybody, those relationships are strengthened longer than any other. I still remember groups who went to Alaska with. I've watched groups that have gone to Honduras and Puerto Rico and, and other areas and the, the connection that they have. I watch uh, Jeremiah and them with groups that they made, made whether it was just at, at verbal school in, in Africa or whether it was you know, during that, that time in the actual villages. And they, their bond is just, it's just a different kind of bond. And it's such a good bond. It's, it's a good thing that it can be that way, right? So, so our friendships develop through, through those shared experiences. We, we grow. We have the potential to grow closest with those that we do ministry with together. When Paul lists this stuff, he's not listing like people that he used to get drunk with. He's not listing people that he used to get high with. You know, I don't think Paul did those things, but, uh, you know, he doesn't have that kind of list going. His list is people that he did ministry with. His list of people that, that expanded and, and expanded upon his ministry and the, the things that he could do. So he understood that. Number five, I hinted at it already. People are more important than programs. People, I need to repeat that because we in the church world need to hear that like 82 times. People are more important than your programs. We become a program-oriented society. We focus on what happens in the program and what makes the, the program successful. And a lot of times, if I can be honest, we work so hard at making the program successful that we destroy the people involved. Right? Sit back and look, man. I'll tell you right now, if we've ever put a program ahead of people here, I apologize as the leader. And just as a, as a Christian in general, if you've ever seen an organization that put programs ahead of people, I apologize for them. Because you deserve to be apologized to. Right? People are greater than the program. And what that means is sometimes you're developing a program. Not that we shouldn't have some programs. There's not anything wrong with that. But when the order gets mixed up, and when we start worrying about making sure the program happens the way we develop the program, that we're now hurting and sacrificing people, we've messed up. Right? Let's make sure we keep the main thing the main thing. 
Number six, it's beneficial to have friends that are different from you. Right? Sure, our greatest relationships are those that we share experiences with and that we, we are somewhat like. But man, look, look at Paul's list right here before we go into each of these names. He's got a doctor and he's got a runaway slave in the same list. Now, would you ever, other than the gospel, picture a doctor and a runaway slave hanging out together? Doing life together. He's got people of a Jewish background and he's got people who don't even know who Abraham was. With two total opposite ends, right? He's got guys and he's got women. He's got some that give and some that go. He's got some that are old and some that are new. He's, he's got some that are up to the task and he's going to talk about some that ran away from their beliefs. It's a wide range of friendships that he's got going. And that's important. That's important. You realize churches, part of my conversation yesterday with somebody, churches are the most segregated, whether it be race, economic status, or anything else, the most segregated groups we have every Sunday morning. We are. Why? You think there's going to be like a heaven for this group and a heaven for that group and a king? No, there's going to be one kingdom. He says, I'm coming to establish my kingdom. Not your kingdom, not their kingdom, not someone else's kingdom. He's establishing his kingdom. And in his kingdom, there'll be a whole lot of different types of people. And thank God for that because it'd be boring without it, right? Like we need that vast array of people to make stuff exciting and good. Paul wasn't only a soul winner, man. He was a great friend maker, right? So ask yourself, you didn't see it last night or, or this morning. Ask yourself, do you have a list of friends that matter most to you? If so, who's on it? Who needs to be added to it? Who needs to be taken off of it? All right? And then maybe even deeper than this, are you on someone else's list? Have you made the list? Right? Or are you on the list of don't call them no matter what because it'd be a wasted phone call? Which one is it? Here's, here's some groups that Paul, or categories you call it. Paul's going to list these guys in. Faithful, and these are your points for the sermon, by the way. So faithful, fervent, faltering, fickle, and forgiven. So number one, the faithful. The five F's. There you go. Look at you. Laura would be proud of me, right? The five F's. First is, is, is the faithful. Proverbs chapter 18, 24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I mean, who's got the most Facebook friends in here? Come on. You got them? That woman is so vain. <laughs> Did you see how fast that hit? There wasn't a chance for none of you guys. Right? Here's what's funny. Your husband don't even know how to get on Facebook. Probably, right? <laughs> talking about opposites attracting right there. How many you got? They have a limit? That's ridiculous. With modern day technology, there's a limit on how many Facebook friends you can have. There is. Man. 5,000. How often do you talk to those 5,000? All of them, not like five of them. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Like, I do communicate with them. There are people that are. Yeah, you put up a post and all 5,000 see it. You know what you don't know? Like 4,900 of them aren't following you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I bet they all are. Oh, I didn't know that either. What's with all these rules and technology here, right? My, my point is this. When that verse is talking about, like, we, we pride ourselves sometimes on having this, this large group. But who's the group that really matters? Your little circle, right? Do you realize that's, that's even the way Jesus operated? You know, there were stages where he had hundreds, and then there was a stage where he had like 70-something, and then there was a stage where he had those, those 12, and then there was a stage where what? He took three. Why? Because sometimes it's the smaller group that matters most. I say that because some of you guys focus so much and you think you're failing if you don't have a lot of friends. A lot of friends isn't what we're aiming for. We're aiming for the right friends. Right? Think about it. How many of you had a lot of friends in school and most of them were probably the wrong friends. I would have gotten a lot less trouble if I didn't have some of the friends I had in school, right? All of us would. It's not necessarily the size of it. That's what he's aiming for. That. But, but the faithful ones, this guy to, to Chikis in verses 7 through 8, look at what it says. Uh, he's going to tell you news about me. He's my dear brother. He's my faithful minister. He's a fellow servant of the Lord. I'm sending him to you guys for certain purposes. He's got responsibilities. Look at his responsibilities. His number one responsibility is just to deliver these letters. 
This is the same guy that's going to deliver the letters to Ephesians, uh, to Colossians, to Philemon, possibly some of the other prison epistles. He's Paul's FedEx man. That's what he is, right? Uh, 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 Stephen don't know it, but he was a FedEx man this week. That's all he was. We didn't know how it was all wrapping, wrapping together, but we knew the, the Lord was in charge and the Lord gave somebody to give to him and he was just a delivery boy. But without the delivery boy, would the money have ever made it to the person in need? Right? What good did, did stopping to pick somebody up if you ain't got no gas to put in their car? You, they, everything's got to be tied together. It's important. It's awesome and it's good. So, so Paul, he has this responsibility to deliver this stuff. Second responsibility he's got, just to tell people how Paul's doing. And notice in Paul's letter, he doesn't spend a lot of time talking about how he's doing. He didn't spend a lot of time talking about, oh, how he feels and, and this situation, that situation. I think that's because he knew when Tuchikis got there, he was going to sit down with these guys and tell them like, hey, man, let me tell you what Paul's going through. Let me tell you what Paul really needs. Paul needs you guys to send him some Black Rifle coffee because, you know, it's getting hard over there to stay awake. Certain you know, like he, he's going he's to communicate that stuff with him. Some of the stuff that's not in this, in this letter right here. So our third thing he does, he says, to encourage your hearts. How many of us in here don't need encouragement? Right? You realize when he's doing this stuff and he's saying this stuff, this would have been like the same way they kind of started a service like we do. They didn't have, everybody didn't have their own copy. So what they do? You even read it at the end. Well, when you guys finish reading it out loud, then you, then you go get the, the letter from the Laodiceans and you read theirs out loud. And they read out loud and they shared with one another. Then they, then they encouraged one another and talked about this stuff, right? Do we realize if we're not encouraging one another enough, we're actually promoting others to sin? That's what the Bible says. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. He's writing this group of people and he's saying, if we're not encouraging them, if we're not trying to push them along in the right direction, the right way, we may actually be part of the slippery slope that's causing them to fall and be driven further away from being closer to the cross. So ask yourself, are you an encourager? Are your words building others up or are your words tearing people down? Sit back and listen to yourselves talk sometime, man. Sometimes you'll feel good about it. Sometimes you know, you just shake it and be like, what in the world was I thinking? Why was I that way? Right? Like sit back and listen to the way you talk about other people. Man, reading some of those, those cards last night and seeing people in different situations, I was like, man, I've got to change the way I view people a lot of times, right? He was so confident in giving Tachikis these three jobs because he was faithful. Because he was what? A dearly brother. A dear brother. You know how affectionate that wording is in this language? The way these guys are talking? You, you ever had... I'm talking to us men because the girls don't have a problem with this. Lady, ladies, that y'all y'all are like wired on a different level. Like, but you ever seen like men for the first time, another man that's not their dad, tell them that I love you? You ever seen like how uncomfortable they get? Right? You're laughing because you've been there. You're like, I don't have to see it. Like I looked in the mirror and I felt it myself, right? Walk up to a dude, right, that you hadn't said it to before and just watch the very first time. Brian, I love you. <laughs> he don't know what to do. You know what I'm saying? He's like, oh, crap. Like what? What does that mean? Right? I, I love you too, I, I think. Okay. Maybe. Possibly. Right? <laughs> but you girls don't have a problem with that. You women are so like in tune with your, your affectionate feelings, right? Y'all just love everybody. Oh, I love you. I love you too. He, didn't say, he still ain't told me he loves me too. Right? Think about it though. I remember like the, the first time. And, and what's funny is it still happens even though now I've got some brothers I can say it to like with joy and confidence and all. But they're still like that new brother when he says it for the first time, right? Jeremiah the other day, I'm trying to get him to put, put work in. He's like, I love you, brother. You don't talk to me while you're under the lift. You get the job done. Right? No. <laughs> it's good though, man. If you don't have relationships with guys like that, man, you need it. That's some iron sharpening iron kind of stuff, right? Right? Not devouring seat cushions, man. He said, this is my dear brother. I'm affectionate with this guy. I love this guy. He's important to me. Not in some weird way, but in a good way. Right? The problem is we use love for everything in America. That's our problem. Like we, we spoke, a, Greek's got some good stuff going. If we spoke a little bit of Greek where we had some different translations of love, we might be a little bit better, right? 
Look at what else he says. He says, this guy's a faithful minister. I've counted on this guy to serve on several occasions and he's done it. Now, some of these guys on this list, I'm going to tell you before we get here, there's going to be some negative stuff in other letters and, and, and maybe even hinted at in this letter, right? But did you, there's nothing ever negative said about this guy. He's faithful. The chief, do you realize the chief virtue maybe of believers is probably faithfulness? Let me think about that. First Corinthians chapter four, two, it says, now it is required that those that have been given trust must prove faithful. God's not calling you to be more beautiful. He's not calling you to look better. He's not calling you to be smarter. He's not right. He's calling you to be faithful. He says, I want him to be faithful. He was also, look what he says. He was also a fellow servant. I love this because Paul's not pulling rank on somebody. We mix that up sometimes in the world, don't we? Pulling rank and thinking you got more authority and, and pool than somebody else. Right. What, what does he say? He says, he says, he says, he's my fellow servant. We're, we're equal. We're on the playing field together. When, when you study scripture and you check it out, Ephesians chapter four, what does it say? Your job, the church's job is to equip you for the work of ministry. We're all fellow ministers and fellow servants in this thing. Not a hierarchy of, oh, I'm better than you, or look at what I can do, or look at this, or look at that, or you should listen to me because of the position I got. That's not what it's talking about. Fellow servant, equal, right? Faithfulness has some action behind it, though, right? Look, look, look at what this guy does. He knew what he was supposed to do, and he did it. I am so grateful we've got people who are faithful that know what they're supposed to do here at Brookhaven and do it. Right? You realize you guys could have some peace and watch 30 kids walk out of here? They're not walking into a tunnel by themselves where there's like this little holding cell that they sit in. And then when you go back there, they get released. They're walking back there to people who are willing to work and be with them. You realize that? And some of them might not even like kids. But they choose to spend their Sunday morning with your kids. Right? Could you imagine that thing right there? <laughs> He puts his time in though, right? He might not smile at him. He might not. <laughs> Have you, you, you guys think about that though? I'm being serious, man. I'm grateful. I mean, my knuckleheads now are old enough. They got to sit in here and listen to dad speak for 30 minutes. But you know, there was a time where somebody got to, sometimes that was the only time period mama was going to have away from them. <laughs> right? Think about that though. We should be grateful that people have found their calling. I'm grateful that, that there's people who have compassion on people that I sometimes don't see. Right? So the need can get met. A house that had so much work invested in this summer that got done. Right? So, the, so that a family can get in there. So that, so that kids can have a roof over their head. Food on the belly. Right? I, I'm grateful that when we have... And here's what's cool. Not necessarily just with us, but with, with a lot of people when they're doing things the right way churches. When, when one group is called to another ministry... People who fill in those gaps. Right? They know they're called. Think about back when, when Daniel and Laura, when they were called to the mission, like they knew they were leaving. Man, that's a children's minister and a youth minister gone at once. Right? But we didn't miss no beats. God provided people who would fill right in and get the job done. Right? We, 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 we ought to be grateful for people who open our eyes and see it. Music. Outreach, kids haven, youth ministry. These things don't just happen, man. It takes volunteers to get it done. Right? I'm the face you see every week, but I'm going to tell you right now, I'm putting in less physical work than anybody else. Right? We've got people behind the scenes getting the job done. And that's important. You guys got electricity because she writes a check every month. Right? Sometimes maybe y'all should worship in the dark, but you know what I'm saying? Well, it'd be great over this stuff. We, we want the checks wrote this month though because it's getting hot. So don't, don't use this as an illustration. <laughs> I want to thank any of you guys that serve those guys next door. You guys give them a thanks, man. Give them a thank. Give, give them a Paul, right? Not, not just, not just in here where they're not here. Tell them, tell them today. Instead of racing out that door to get to a car to get to lunch, try actually walking around this other side and not just to pick up your kid and run away. All right. But to like sit there and tell them, thank you. Tom, thank you. Maybe they'll return that thanks to you when you're serving that week, right? What does he say? My dear brothers and sisters, faithful ministers, fellow servants in different areas of ministry. Man, it's good stuff, right? Second faithful friend he's got. The aristocrat, Mr. A. Don't be laughing at the way I can't say stuff, all right? <laughs> Verse 10, my fellow prisoner. 
How many of y'all been to jail other than Guy? Not to single him out in any way, sorry. Right? You remember your prison mate? <laughs> you remember any of your cellmates? Some of y'all don't raise your hands. You'll scare the person sitting beside you. Right? Like, holy cow, I thought we was in church. Like, I didn't know he was next to people who had actually been to jail. Heaven forbid, right? We're not all from the same background. Huh? Here's what's cool about this guy. This is a guy that stayed with Paul no matter what. When you want to find you a true friend, find you a friend, a friend that stays no matter what. Find you a friend that's with you when life sucks. Right, I'm telling you. You want to know who your true friends are? Find those friends that will respond to you, whether it's text, phone call, a visit, and out to lunch or whatever, when life ain't that great. When you ain't got the pool and the grill going for dinner. Right? When you ain't got the money to buy them lunch. When you ain't got just, just something cool going on, a new gun to shoot. Right? Or what do you ladies do? A new recipe and new dresses or I don't know. Right? We're different. We're wired different. That's okay. We said that's a good thing. Here's what this guy's been through with Paul, by the way. Now, this isn't all just in this letter, right? So the aristocrat was with Paul in the book of Ephesians when there was a riot going on. He was nearly beat to death. Study the book of Acts. This guy was with Paul during this part, right? He was with Paul when Paul sailed to Rome and went shipwrecked. I don't know what made him stay with Paul. Because I'm telling you right now, if every time I'm with one of you, we are shipwrecked or going to jail or getting beat up, I ain't hanging out with you no more. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know what Aristocat's mama was doing. Why didn't she tell him, you need to stop hanging out with that Paul? Like, could you imagine your mom telling you you can't hang out with Paul? Of all people in Scripture? I don't know if you should hang out with that guy. Every time you're with him, it just goes downhill, right? Here's what's even neater with this guy that we don't know for sure. There's no record of any criminal charges ever against this guy. Now, understand this, because certain criminals, certain prisoners, at a certain time we've talked about how house arrest was was very different from what we think of in this culture. They were allowed to bring somebody with them. You imagine Paul sitting at the table with his buddies right before being arrested, right? Hey, they're about to come lock me up. Which one of you guys want to come with me? Right? Could you see, oh, me, Paul. I want to go to jail. I want to eat pudding and bread and nothing else for forever. I want to never see my wife and have hugs um, for a long period of time. Right? Could you imagine this guy volunteering that? Right? This guy most likely, he was willing to serve time with Paul, right? Why? Because you, could you imagine the encouragement Paul was going to need during those years and months? And this guy saw it. There are people around you right now that just need you to encourage them. They need you to be there while life isn't so great. And encourage them. Man, you can make it. You're going to get through this. Right? I don't care what the world says. I don't care what everybody else has been saying. What did, we, what did we say last week? Don't follow Lot's wife. Stop looking there and start looking here. Encouraging people with the right stuff at the right time. Right? This was this guy. This was this guy. Do you have any friends that would stick with you through moments like that? Or are most of your friends bailing on you as soon as life gets hard? Huh? How many of your friends back in the day ratted on you? So they could get a lenient sentence. Right? How many of your friends stuck hard and went through these things, right? This third faithful friend. That's faithfulness. The third faithful friend, Justice or Jesus. No, Jesus ain't back from the dead yet, but this guy, Justice. So a common name, right? Verse 11, it says, this guy sends his greetings as well. This guy's involved as well, right? This guy is, is here. So, so probably Aristarchus and, and John Mark and, and Justice, they would have been, I don't know if you guys ever followed Jews for Jesus on the their webpage. But these have been like the first guys of Jews for Jesus. By the way, probably some of the, the strongest people, right? So he's, he's just listening to these guys that, that had a different background or a same background to him and, and they're unified together. This fourth friend, verse 14, Luke, and he even includes it just so we make sure we understand, Luke the doctor. Could you imagine the role Luke played with Paul? Now, I, here's something. Luke wrote Luke and Luke wrote the uh, gospel or the book of Acts and, and all this kind of stuff. But could you imagine if you had to go through the stuff Paul went through and the Lord just happened to bless you with a friend who was a doctor like that? Now, I don't know this for sure. This is uh, listen to a pastor this week. He, he called it the white stuff. You know, I call it the, the not quite to the podium, but not quite over there stuff. He said the white pages, you know, the, the white area on the page. So, so in that area, could you imagine, though, how most likely how many times? Luke had to patch Paul up after one of his beatings, after a moment of torture. 
Could you imagine some of the times he was dehydrated and, and malnourished that Luke had to attend to him while he was in prison? Now, some of you guys might just think it's a coincidence, but I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe God brought this doctor along to become Paul's best friend to make sure he was tended to at moments he needed to be tended to. And he's not out there making millions like, well, I don't know if doctors made millions back then, but anyway, he's highly trained, he's highly educated, but he's using his gifts for the kingdom. You realize your gifts aren't just for you? Really, really, everything short of serving the kingdom should be secondary to what God's blessed you with the abilities to do, right? We know that according to 2 Timothy, you talk about somebody sticking close, right? 2 Timothy chapter 4, when he writes that young pastor, Luke stayed with Paul right up to the point of death. It says, only Luke is with me now. A faithful friend stays with you to the end. A faithful friend stays with you to the end, right? Then he, then he lists this. Miss N. Miss N, verse 15. I give my greetings to, uh, to the brothers at Laodicea and, and to Miss N and the, the church in her house. Now, I'm, I'm trying to find something else about this lady. I'm just pointing this out as extra for you guys, right? And, and I go off on pages and pages and pages on the internet that have tried to prove whether this was a man or a woman. Because evidently at one of the transcripts, they started using some masculine nouns. and, and some. Are we really at a point where that matters more than this guy just saying, hey, and thanks for what you're doing and starting this home church? And I'm pointing this out because you wouldn't think it's a lesson. I'll tell you right now, it's a lesson. Stop running off on tangents on stuff that don't matter in the word of the Lord. You hear me? Y'all try to spend and we try to spend sometimes so much time on something that don't even matter. And I, I really fully believe the Lord's just shaking his head like, what are you doing? You think I care if that was a man or a woman who started the house church? Right? But there's groups out there. That's what they focus on. Right, keep, keep the main thing the main thing, right? So it's not entirely clear. I'll give you that. Whatever. I think of her like a lady. I think of her like, like Lydia in Acts chapter 16 who, who had that, that businesswoman approach and that home church approach and, and things going well. And what is he, what is he telling this church at Colossae? He says, I want you guys to give a special greeting to her. When you guys travel, I want you to stop by our house. Go to, go to some of their home church meetings, right? Spend some time in Bible study with them. Paul's recognizing her critical role in the kingdom. Sometimes we just need to recognize people's roles. Recognition goes a long way. Right? Likewise, maybe this part encourages you to open your home. Open your church. Provide some means for other people. Right? This building ain't the church, by the way. We are. So hopefully we're being the church more outside than, than in here. Right? I'm, I'm convinced. Maybe you could say it this way. I'm convinced that we could get bigger if we get smaller. Does that make sense? If we would get smaller and closer with some of our relationships, then we could expand out further the right way. I believe that. All right, let's look at this next group. Next group shorter, I promise. It's only got one guy. All right, some of y'all are scared. It's all right. The fervent. This is a prayer. This is the guy who, 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 who is big into prayer. This is the prayer warrior. Epaphras. We've, we've already met him once, but here in verse 12 and 13, it says that he's the one of you guys. He's a servant of Jesus Christ. He sends his greetings because he's with me. And he's always wrestling in prayer for you guys. As he's praying, he's praying that you're going to stand firm in the will of God. That you're going to mature in the faith. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you guys and these other churches in the area. Right? So we've already met this guy once. We really believe he's the guy who started this church in Colossians. Who, who labored. Who's teaching and who's shepherding. And, and now he gets the translation of this, this servant. Always wrestling in prayer. His prayers were constant, his prayers were frequent, and his prayers must have been intense. How constant, how frequent, and how intense do you guys pray? I can prove it's intense because this, this same word, he's following what we talked about a couple weeks ago with Devotion Sons Prayers, this same word for wrestling is agonized, which is the same word that Jesus had talked about him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Could you imagine... Somebody praying for you that way? And that being the metaphor that's pictured? He's, he's wrestling. He's agonizing. Praying for you guys. And he even tells them what he's praying. He's praying that you're going to stand firm against the false teachings. Remember what the whole letter is written for. It's written because there's some false teaching going on. He says, I want you guys to be firm enough in your faith to stand against it. That you'll become mature in your faith. That you'll have the full assurance of the life of grace. And not works. And Paul says, like I can vouch... This is what he's doing. 
You guys ever see prayer as hard work? That sounds like a weird question. I, I, I wrote it down in my notes this week and I was kind of thinking, like, do I see prayer as hard work? Like, we, we naturally assume as spiritual people, like, no, prayer should be joyful and nice. And, isn't that kind of how we think? When you study Scripture, though, when it talks about people who really prayed, when it brags about their praying, does it seem that way with them? No. Jesus prayed till he sweat blood drops. That don't seem like our little holy seance of kumbaya time, right? It's saying this guy right here uses the same word like he's wrestling in prayer, right? Like he, he's struggling to get it done. I, I, I said this, praying that costs nothing, maybe accomplishes nothing. Maybe there ought to be some sacrifice behind our prayer. Sacrificing some TV time, sacrificing some sleep time, right? I hear people all the time, oh, pastor, I, I pray until I fall asleep every night. You imagine if I laid in bed with my wife and that was our, our converse time and she was telling me about something in law school or, or, or something else that happened during her day and I fell asleep on her every night. Do you know what would happen the next morning? Nothing. Not, you know what would happen the next day? Nothing. Right? No, that's not a good intimate relationship. And the Lord calls us to have this kind of intimate relationship with Him as well, Right? Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying praying at night's a bad thing, but man, if you fall asleep every night just talking to the Lord, what are you really telling him? Lord, you're just a void for me to fill in time with, right? This guy didn't pray when it was convenient. He didn't pray when he had nothing else to do. He was praying all the time. He was constantly in prayer for this, this group of other believers. How, how often do you guys pray for somebody in the church? Not for yourselves. Now, how often do you pray for people in other churches? We talked about being segregated, right? Why? You, th you think you can only pray for people in your own church? There's going to be people in the kingdom who ain't parts of Brookhaven. I mean, we're going to tell them they were wrong for a long time, but, you know, that's all right. We'll still spend eternity with them, right? Man, we ought to be praying for all our believers, all our friends, right? And I'm not saying these other 10 people that Paul lists weren't praying. I'm just saying this particular guy must have been a prayer warrior because he's recognized for it, right? He's called out for it. He looks at it. Maybe this morning, God's just revealing to you that like, that's your ministry, prayer ministry. Maybe we need to spend more time praying for people than we do talking about them. Hmm. All right, look at this next group. Going downhill. The faltering. The faltering. Mr. A. Verse 17. Look at verse 17. And tell Mr. A, pay attention to the ministry that you received from the Lord so that you can accomplish it. What does that sound like Paul's saying? Another name we don't hear very often, but if you take this verse and you take what's said in, in Philemon about him, he belongs to this family, he's probably a pastor, and, and Paul's telling him, like, you, you need to press on. You need to complete the work that's been set before you. You need this special encouragement to keep at it. Now, I don't know how the guy was sliding spiritually. Maybe he was just tired. Maybe he lost his focus. Maybe he was disappointed by, by the lack of response of people, whatever it is. But whatever it was, Paul saw it and Paul knew he needed to be challenged to push through to fulfill whatever he had committed to doing. I can't tell you how many people I've seen that get great ideas for the kingdom and they start them and then they fizzle out real fast because it don't go the way they thought it should go. Press on. Press on, man. If God gave you that idea, don't you think it's worth pushing on for? Whether you're getting the results you thought you should get or not. Maybe that's sometimes the problem. Maybe it's not about our results. Maybe it's about his results. And we can't see that, right? Complete the work. Fulfill it. Be committed to whatever ministry. Sometimes people just need that nudge to get involved in a ministry. Maybe it's for that first time, right? Like, hey, I, I think you can do this. I think you can start this. I think you can fulfill this. I think this is something God's got for you. I think sometimes we want to pray that prayer at Jabez. You, you know what I'm talking about with prayer, Jabez? Where it says, oh, Lord, just enrich and enlarge my territory. Amen. You ever look? Yeah, amen. You realize the more territory you get, the more work there is? Huh? We want to pray, God, give me more, but we don't want to handle more when it comes. Right? Oh, I don't know why the, the Lord won't just fill up every chair in that church. Because you can't handle the ones that's coming now. Right? I don't know why we don't have a, a youth group just having 500. Because Caroline would explode. 
Actually, Tyler would explode. He'd be like, get these cats out of my house. Get involved, man. Get involved. Are you faltering right now? Have you been missing it? Do you need to renew that commitment? Look at this other guy. I'm going to call him the fickle. We don't know a lot about him. Demas. Look at verse 14. And he never gives any condemnation about this guy. Simply just states, send him some greetings. So he's writing this in and then he's like, hey, just, just tell Demas what's up. Right? So you had like, to me, I'm like, I want to know who this guy is. Like, why, why is he getting a what's up? Like, what, what's he get a shout out for that, that he's done? So if you go to, go to Philemon, he's called a fellow laborer. So he was doing something good, right? Here in, here in Colossians, he's just a, a Demas. So then you, you fill in some of the, some of the gaps. You got to use other scripture to fill in gaps, by the way, guys, right? And you see that this guy's probably got some spiritual drift going on. And I can prove it because what he writes in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. This is about five years later. And it says, For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. The guy kind of reminds me of some of the disciples the night Jesus said, You guys are going to. You're going to waver. You're going to stumble. You're going to run away from me. And what they else? Oh, no, we're not. We're not going to pay attention to what you're saying, Jesus. It ain't going to happen. What happens? They all scatter. Right? They all come back, but they all scatter. This guy, Demas, he's flat out told like, hey, pay attention, man. Something, something's around you. And we don't know what the love of the world was. We don't know what his spiritual weakness was, his fatal fall, whatever it was. But Scripture's clear. Whatever he loved in this world, he loved more than the one who made this world. Is that us sometimes? We sometimes fall in love with the, the stuff rather than the creator. Get sidetracked by it. First John chapter 2 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father must not be in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what he has done and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. We have within us some fatal flaws, some seeds that have the ability to sprout if we feed them the wrong way. And I don't know what it was for this guy specifically, but he had that seed and he was trying to be warned to stay away from it. So I ask you, write down in your notes, think about it in your head. Are you living for the things of this world? Do you, do you have just religious appearance and nothing going on on the inside? What, what, what could it be that's going to trip you up? What sin are you vulnerable to? What, what, what two masters are you trying to serve? Don't take it as a bad thing to write down a note, but take it as something that, man, I, I need to be aware of this so that it doesn't trip me up. So that I don't fall into it. I'm going to decide today that, I, that I'm not going to turn out like Demas. I don't, I don't want a letter written about me five years later that says, I just deserted everybody and went back to the love of the world. This last group, not necessarily in order, but... For our ending, I put them last. The forgiven. You realize there's some people on Paul's list that made some serious mistakes. Paul's list ain't a bunch of perfect people. Sometimes I think we think, oh, I got to get me a bunch of per. No. If so, take yourself off the list. You know what I'm saying? Like, go ahead, go ahead, and, go ahead and just remove yourself on off of there. Right? These guys made some serious mistakes. Onesimus, by the way, he's a deserter. He, he's like a runaway slave. But what does Paul call him in verse nine? Our faithful and dear brother. What does he say? I encourage you to go back. I encourage you guys to read the letter to his master, Philemon, right? Because here, you got to put yourself in this guy's shoes. This is a runaway slave. We assume he most likely stole something in his runaway, right? He gets saved after he runs away. He's even like, we, we, we believe he filled in some pastoral roles in the church emphasis and, and other stuff going on. So this guy was into the ministry. And Paul's talking to him one day and he says, hey, you know what you need to do? You need to go back to your master. Could you imagine that though? Could you, could you imagine like getting to a point where like, what, what do you mean I got to go back? I, I thought we was, we was against that kind of stuff, right? He goes, yeah, but your master is, he's a believer also. So now he's your brother. You need to go back and talk to your brother. And, and he even writes this letter. He goes, hey, you take him back. I'll pay for everything you stole. I'll pay for every, everything he would have owed you at this time right here. Like, like the, it's, just, it's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful because it's a relationship we would never expect to be healed that gets healed. 
Is that not what the gospel is about? Healing relationships that are broken? Healing the unexpected? Huh? A doctor and a runaway slave hanging out together? Calling him brother instead of all this other stuff? How about this other friend? We talked about him a while back, Mark. Some of y'all remember his story. Verse 10. He even points out who it is to make sure we don't mix him up with any other Marks. Right? He says this, this second friend that I forgive is, is Mark. He's the cousin of Barnabas. You guys remember this story? This is, this is Paul and Barnabas. They're launching the first missionary journey. Mark, his cousin, he's like, man, I want to go. I want to go. And Paul's like, oh, good. We need more workers. Come on. They don't even get into the meat of stuff yet. And Mark is broken. I, I, I can't handle this, guys. I, I, I got it. Paul says, no, you're not leaving us. You signed up for this thing. You're going to do this thing. And moments later, Mark is gone. And you don't hear a lot about it until they start planning this other missionary trip. So Barnabas and Paul get together again and, and they're talking like, man, we, we need to go. We need to do another mission trip. And Barnabas like, yeah, my cousin Mark wants to go again. And Paul said, oh, no, he don't. That sorry sapsucker last time deserted us. Like he, he ain't worthy to go with us. He's not going. And you have your first church business meeting where there's an argument. Two people outvote one another. And instead of just being unified, what happens? Two crybabies going two different ways. Well, Barnabas, you go your way because Mark ain't going with me. And, and Barnabas says, well, you're not worth it anyway. I'm taking my cousin and we going over here. And boom, church split. Y'all laugh because y'all been in the business meetings, I know. Bunch of southern gossipers, right? Huh? Think about it, though. That's what's going on. That's what's there. And, and what does Paul do here in this part of the letter? The grace? The forgiveness? There's, there's no Mark, the guy who deserted us. No, it's Mark, Barnabas' cousin. He didn't remind him of his past failures. He didn't remind him of his past mistakes. Instead, he's trusting him. So much so, you think it's deep here that he just mentions him? Go down to 2 Timothy chapter 4 again, where he talks about Demas deserting him and leaving him. Verse 11, he says, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. You want to talk about a turnaround? Huh? This is a turnaround, man. You know what blows my mind on stories like this? We pray all the time that we want God to forgive us, but we won't forgive other people. Right? Oh, we're quick to preach. Oh, God, you should just forgive me because you were love and you were mercy and, and you were grace. And not that he's not any of that stuff. But then when he tells you to forgive somebody, oh, you don't know what they did, Lord. Oh, did they hang your son on the cross too? Because I didn't know. Right? Think about this. This is the way we act. Why? Why? Paul writes and he says, now this tells us when he writes Timothy, evidently Mark had already done a lot of stuff with him. Because what does he tell him? Look, look back at that verse. For he is useful to me in the ministry. Like we've been working together. We've already been accomplishing some things. We got past our past. Have you gotten past your past with other people? Some of y'all right now, you got nothing else out of this morning. I'm telling you right now, this one section right here was for you because you got somebody you need to forgive. I'm telling you, I don't know who it is, but I'm telling you right now, like I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this, this one verse, this one person, this one time, if you got nothing else out of this morning, this, this was yours right here. There's somebody you need, or there's somebody you need to go ask forgiveness from. Maybe you're the other way. Why are you so afraid to do either? If you believe this, this is what blows my mind. We talk so much about, oh, I believe the word. I practice the word. Do you practice it? Because faithfulness has action behind it. Faithfulness means you've got to put your feelings aside and do things His way. Right? Faithfulness means you don't have to like it. Y'all ever seen any of them blindside blocks in the NFL? Some of y'all have because you've seen them, right? Or if you're a basketball player, you ever seen what they call the blindside pick? Right, where that guy doesn't have a clue it's coming and he just turns around and there's a wall there and I love it in basketball because those guys aren't used to that contact, so they're not expecting it. So sometimes they'll fall. Sometimes they're really good actors. They'll fall down on the ground and the whole world is over and, and all those kind of stuff, right? But, but it knocks the wind out of them, right? That blindside block that's now illegal, right? Like, like it just knocks somebody flat. Is that you? Have you been hit by the unexpected? 
Has something shocked you in God's Word and in your walk? But why stay that way? You look as goofy as the dude. That's what blows my mind. You got a seven foot dude, 250 pounds, falling around on the ground like the whole world. And I'm like, man, get up. You're a professional athlete, man. That didn't hurt you that bad, right? But they can act real well so they can get that penalty card, huh? You don't have to stay that way. Soccer players are the worst about that, by the way. I didn't realize that until the boys had me watching soccer when they were playing. I was like, what is with these guys? Like, something would touch a foot and they'd like trip over like 26 times. I'm like, well, did that guy get a karate kick? I'm, not, I'm sitting there rewinding the TV. I'm like, I got I to gotta see it. Like, I missed the karate kick. Where was it? And I rewind and there, there's no karate kick. You didn't miss anything. Right? Maybe some of you are running away from something. Like a runaway slave. Maybe some of you let somebody down. Time to ask for forgiveness. One thing I know is this, this life, this Christian life, is full of new beginnings. It's full of disqualified people becoming qualified. It's full of, of failure happening, but failure not being the final thing. It's full of, of fear and keeping it a secret until he breaks that fear. It's, it's full of, of forgiveness with friends. It's, it's full of all this stuff. It's full of unperfect people gathering together and growing together. This, this should challenge us to make sure that we're not holding someone hostage by the past. That we're not being held hostage by the past. Look, look at how Paul ends this thing, right? Maybe you just need to get some teammates and get them back on their feet. Verse 16, last two verses. or three, Yeah, two and a half verses. Right? Verse 16, there's a response to this thing. He says, after this letter's been read, I want you to read it to other people. Paul tells them, I want you to pass this scripture along. Are we passing scripture along? Are we getting the word of God out to other people? Are we making sure others know that it's out there for them? Verse 18, he tells his readers that as he's writing this thing, he says, this was written in my own hand. Now, I want you to understand what Paul means by this because he does it in a lot of his letters. He would, he would sit back and dictate as a, as a writer would write for him. But at the very end of his letters, almost every single one of them that I know of, he would have like the last verse or two, the last line or two. And some people say, and I don't know how true this is, some people say like you could tell because it was written much bigger than the rest of it. Well, we know Paul was going blind, right? He talked about trouble with his eyes and that kind of stuff. So, so he wrote real big to a world that was blind. And I just, just got this, this last free point where I think it was good, right? He wanted, and the reason he writes this, by the way, the reason he did that, the Galatians 6, 11, he says, see, here's where we get around. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. He's writing to prove that the letter is genuine. Are we writing to prove that we are genuine to the world outside? Are we using large type so that people can see it? Are we living out loud for Christ? Are we remembering people who fought so much to get the gospel to us? Look at what he says at the end of verse 18. Remember my chains. Remember my chains. Remember what I've gone through to get the gospel to you guys. This book begins with grace. This book ends with grace. Verse 18, be great, uh, grace be with you always. There was a, a reporter who went to Bud Wilkinson, old coach for the Sooner football team. He says, coach, how has the game of football contributed to the health and fitness of America? Wilkinson responded, it hadn't contributed at all. The reporter says, what do you mean? We're supposed to be promoting. We're supposed to be using this as a benefit. And what do you mean it hadn't? He said, there's 22 men on that field. They desperately need rest. There's 22,000 people in the stands that desperately need some exercise. <laughs> I would add to it a little bit later. There's 122,000, maybe even more than that, sitting at home watching on TV that could use so. Church, until we get in the game... We're not going to get the exercise. You're not called to be a spectator. You're not called to sit in the stands. You're not called to, to watch. You're called to get involved. What I love is knowing that I thought about this yesterday. I, I love knowing that I, I'm almost positive more than 50% of you guys do something extra. Serving in some capacity. Kids saving youth ministry music. Reaching out to helping with the homeless and the trailers. and Whatever it is. Doesn't matter what it is. What matters is that we all pull together. And we get the job done that God's called us to do. We fill in the gaps. We fill in the gaps. But I'm going to tell you right now, as we grow, as, as society grows and, and changes, 
my, my wife was trying to close yesterday at, at Seoul with, that I don't know if you guys are studying, like Roe versus Wade changing. And she said something really, she didn't get to say it to them, but she said it to me in the car. But she said something that, that really made me think. Like we, we get so excited about that as believers, right? Oh, we're finally going to overturn it. Are you willing to deal with the backlash of it though? What backlash, Pastor? That means there's going to be a lot of women who feel lost. Who feel like they don't have any hope. Who feel like they can't do what it is that they're going to have to do to raise a child. That, that's you guys that got to fill in that gap. Oh, no, they got government assistance programs, Pastor. Well, when I read scripture, it tells me as a believer that my job is to deal with widows, orphans, and homeless. That means I don't get the right to get mad at the government because they're not doing it right because it's my job. That means the government ought to not be doing it. Amen. I don't expect a lot of you to amen that. That means you've got to put your money where your mouth is. That means you've got to put some action where your faith is. Right? Are we willing to deal with the backlash of things being the way we want and we think they ought to be? Or are we just going to be a squeaky wheel that once it gets some grease, we... We're quiet and don't do nothing else. That's my fear. I didn't realize it. Didn't even think about it. Right? Are we going to be willing to be the hands and feet, the gospel, the real gospel, to those outside this world when they have a need that needs to be reached? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the wrap-up of this letter in the series, Lord. God, I know I thank you for what I got out of it. I thank you for your preaching, Lord God. I just, Lord, I, just, I pray for Paul and his friends, the example that they set for us. God, I pray that we get us some close friends, some friends that we can serve with. God, that we be somebody else's close friend. God, that we follow these examples and we stay faithful to one another. Above all, we stay faithful to you. And Lord God, that because of that, you're able to use us to accomplish so much more for your kingdom and your purposes and not our own. Your great and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.